Genesis 18, 1 through 15, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, where he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you can wash and then, then you may wash all of your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three shays of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds of milk and the calf that he had prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood before them under a tree, under a near, nearby tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, Will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why, is Sarah, why, why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. <clears throat> We're continuing our series Resting in God's promises, and we're going to stay. We're going to stay in the book of Genesis. Last week in Genesis 12, we we learned that God blesses us, and as God blesses us, we can then bless those around us. We can be a blessing to all those around us. What I'm trying to help us understand in this series is that God's promises can apply to every area of our lives, our everyday lives. The question is, do we believe that? Do we believe that? Are we holding on to that? Are you allowing his promises to influence and impact your life? Have you been looking through them, like kind of reading through them in God's word, looking up, maybe looking online and, and, and just studying the promises of God? And are you applying those to your life? Are you allowing those to influence your life? Are you allowing those to impact your life? God's word can be applied to your life, every area of your life, especially God's promises. We need to own those. We need to apply those. And I think we can learn a lot from Abraham, how Abraham and Sarah applied God's promises to their own lives. How did they do that? How did they respond? I think we can learn a lot by seeing how they responded to the promises that were given to them. Now, see, the first thing I noticed as I read this passage is Abraham's eagerness to be in the presence of God. I mean, he was eager to be in the presence of God. Verse 2 says, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. Abraham hurried to the Lord as soon as he saw him. How eager are we to be in the presence of God? How eager are we? How anxious are we to spend time with God? 
Have we forgotten maybe as Christians what, it, what it's like to anticipate being in the, the presence of God, spending time with the Lord? Have we forgotten what it's like to have that kind of anticipation in our hearts? Like when you were a baby Christian, you couldn't get enough of the Bible. You wanted to be in Bible studies. You couldn't wait to come to church and learn more. You had that, that anticipation. And I think now our Christian lives in some ways have, have become routine and stale and, and mundane and, and mediocre. But that should never happen. That should never, no matter how old we get in our Christian walk, as a matter of fact, we should be more in anticipation of what God's going to do in our lives as we get older, not less There shouldn't be that routine, mundane, stale kind of Christian life. It should never happen in our lives. We need to remember our first love, our first love, Jesus Christ. We need to remember what that love was like. We need to recapture it. You know, in some cases, our spiritual lives need a a bit of a resurrection. It's like our heart has has died. Our spiritual heart in some ways has died, and we need the Holy Spirit to, to revive us. We need the Holy Spirit to give us some, some spiritual CPR, get, those, get those, out, those pads out and kind of shock us back into reality of who we are and, and, and what, we, what, what does Christ mean in our lives and what can God teach us, that excitement of being in God's presence. In verse 3, Abraham asks, he says, Lord, don't pass me by. He says, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to pass me by. I want to, in in our words, he's basically saying, hey, can you guys just, can you stay and just hang out? Can you just just hang out? I grew up in New York, and I remember when I was younger, growing up in New York, my friends and we took over uh, the basement of the apartment complex. I lived in a one-bedroom apartment with my mom in New York, and all these apartments were hooked together, and they had some big old basements. They were great, and so we moved, no one, we didn't really ask them because we were teenagers, we moved everyone's stuff to one side, and we made our own little hangout down there. And we put, a t- we put TVs down there. And we, we had like a lounge area. We even had a library down there. It was like Sports Illustrated and like uh, newspaper articles about sports. And anything about sports, we put down there. And we would just, we would just spend time there. And we would, we would watch sports in the weekends from sunup to sundown. And the only time we would leave on the weekend is when our parents forced us to leave. I loved hanging out with my friends, going down there and, you know, the NFL today or whatever, and then the first game, the second game, then the hockey game. In New York, there was like hockey games on too. And so you you, you know, hockey game at 7.30 and then you watch ESPN at whatever, 11 o'clock when it came on to watch the hockey. I mean, it was, it went on for, and we just loved to hang out. We wanted to hang out and be together. Do you have a desire in your heart to just hang out with God? Man, I don't want to leave. I just want to hang out. Do you have a desire to, to linger in your quiet time? Just kind of just hang out with them, linger there. Or, or do, you, do you wish that the, the worship time, the worship experience could just be a little longer? You know, just one, one or two more songs. Let's just, let's just spend more time. Let's just linger in this with God. You know, it's when, we, it's when we linger in the presence of God that we begin, truly begin to hear that still small voice of God speaking to our hearts, reviving us and refreshing us. It's when we just spend time hanging out with God that we, we truly hear him. I don't know about you, but over the last few months, I, I've, I've really desired some hangout time with God. I'm not talking about reading my Bible and praying and doing devotions and things like that. I, I do those things. I'm talking about getting away for a couple of days somewhere alone and just hanging out with God. 
you know, maybe talking a lot less and listening a lot more. And, you know, you get so caught up in our, in our we all get so caught up in our lives, you just want to like take a time out and make the world stop and, and just get off with God and recharge and just be in his presence and just linger with him a little bit. Next, Abraham focuses on serving the Lord with excitement. He, he's serving the Lord with excitement. See, Abraham brings the best that he has to offer. He, he, he brings it all, man. He brings the best he has to offer. Abraham goes beyond the, the customary hospitality. Normally, he would say to a group of people who came in who, was, who were visiting him, well, why don't you just rest here? You rest here, and, uh, and, and then we'll, you can stay for the evening meal, and you could take the evening meal with us. And, you know, so just relax. And instead, he runs into the house, and, he's, and he says to Sarah, he says, you know, get three shades of flour, and he says, knead it. She t- he tells her to knead it, okay, and to bake it. Man, that's a lot of work. That is a lot of work. I'm not a big bread maker, but Deb makes some bread sometimes. And we have to make all the bread by hand. And he's talking three shades is a lot of flour. And so he tells her, you didn't you did make this bread. There's a, that's a lot of work. And he doesn't offer God his leftovers. He offers God his best. He doesn't go say to Sarah, hey, Sarah, we've got a couple of people here. He knows who they are, obviously. And he, says, he didn't say, hey, go get those dead chickens in the back that we had hanging we didn't eat those yesterday, did we? Smell them. See if they still smell okay. And bring those out here. And maybe some the old beans you found. They're, they're some, right in the back of the refrigerator, there was some old stuff. It doesn't have mold on it. Bring that out here because, you know, we want to get rid of that. That's not what he does. He brings his best. He brings the best that he has to offer. When was the last time you or I offered God our best, our very best, when was the last time you thought through and said, I got to offer God my best? It seems what happens is God gets our leftover time and God gets our leftover income. Well, when I make all my bills out and I do this and I, I got in the movies a few times and I wanted to buy this for myself and I really needed that. And so what's left over? Okay, I'll, I'll give that to the Lord. It's almost like we give him the, the crumbs off the table, the scraps off the table. And you say that out loud and you're like, ooh, you know, you want to give the scraps off the table to the Lord. This is the Lord. But honestly, let's just be dead honest. Don't we do that sometimes? Don't we give him our leftover time? Oh, 11.48, well, 10 minutes to die. I spend time with the Lord in the last few minutes. You know, don't, do we not do I'm not, don't raise your hand or anything, but isn't that not what we do a lot? Leftover time, leftover, leftover income, leftover, whatever, whatever the scraps are. Abraham, on the other half, goes out and he butchers a calf. Which was, which was only done in very special occasions. So he goes out and butchers the calf, the calf and he brings water so they can wash the, their feet. And he's wondering, you could just picture him kind of going around and, and, and getting all these things ready. Let's wash your feet. You can relax under this tree and you can see the excitement, the anticipation that, that he has. Do we serve God? He comes and serves and brings them water and serves God and you can wash your feet. Do we serve God with that same passion and zeal? Well, let me, oh, well, Lord, let me make sure that I'm, I'm there on time or I'm, I'm, I'd love to be with you here. Do we have that same, when we serve God in, in our Sunday school classes with the youth or, or with our Bible studies or whatever, do we serve God with that same passion or zeal? Can't wait to get there. We have an apologetics group on Wednesday night at like 6.30. We have pizza together at 6.30 to 7. And then we meet. I want to tell you something. You talk to anybody in that group and we're all in the same boat. Everybody can't wait to get there to be in the presence of God, to spend time with each other and just we anticipate it because, oh, what are we going to talk about tonight? What are we going to learn about tonight? 
That's the way we need to be in, in how we serve God. Lord, what are you going to show us? What are you going to tell us? Think about it. You think about this. Are you giving God the best that you have to offer or the minimum amount required? I remember when I was a youth pastor, the students used to ask me, how far can I go before, you know? And I always said, yeah, see, your problem is the question. The problem is the question, how far can I go? What can I, you know, how, 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 much do, how much do I have to give the Lord that would just be acceptable to everyone else if they knew how much I gave? Or how much, you know, this, uh, I serve the Lord, I can do this, but I don't have that much time because I have so many other things to do. I mean, do we give him the best that we have to offer or do we give him the minimum amount required? Abraham then, here's what Abraham does. He then positions himself. He puts himself in a position to listen to what the Lord has to say. In verse 8, it says, while they ate, he stood, he stood by them under that tree. So he stood. I mean, you could just, again, I, I wasn't there. Okay, I'm just reading between the lines, but he's standing up. He's not lounging out under some tree. You know, wake me if anyone says anything. He's like, you know, he's waiting with anticipation. What, what, what's going to, you know, there's anticipation. What's God going to tell me? What's he going to, what's he going to tell me? What's the Lord going to show me? Where's he, where's he going to lead me? What's he going to say? Every time he probably cleared his, you know, throat or something. <clears throat> what, what was that? What would you say? You know, can you, I mean, can you imagine? Is it that anticipation of what is God going to do? I think what we do sometimes, and I'm going to pick on this this morning. That's my way. Um, I think what we do sometimes is we treat God like we treat our parents when our parents were talking to us or the way you talk, when your parents talk to you now, right? Your, your mom or dad says, you know, son or daughter, I, I'd like to have a word with you. And, and, and instead of saying, what is it, father or mother? What? How can I help you? Here, here's what you do. And I, you must take a deep breath because it's like, can we, need, can we just sit down and talk? What? It's that long, what? It's like the longest what in the history of the world. What? Oh, I, I'm, I, I'm just so, I'm so moved by that what. I'm sure that you want to really listen to what I'm saying. And you're like, and then it's like time-wise, you're like, now, is it, how long is this going to take? How long is this conversation going to take? I, I gotta, I gotta, I'm going out with Whitney, and, and, and she's waiting for me. So how, let's, just, let's just speed this up. Say what you're going to say really fast. And then when they say it, you know, your mind starts going into the, the Charlie Brown kind of thing. Wah, 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 wah. And you're like, oh, thanks so much, Mom and Dad. I really appreciate it. This was really, no, really, this was meaningful to me. I hope it was to you, too. Listen to everything you said. Bye. That's how we talk. It's like it's how we treat God sometimes. Yeah, 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 God. Okay, yeah. God tries to speak to your heart. That must be me speaking to myself. Uh, you know, that, that's a little long. That passage is a little long. I'm not really going to read that. I don't really want to spend time. I mean, we do the same thing with God. We do that same thing. Abraham, on the other hand, think about what he did. He anticipated. He waited. And then he respected what God had to say. See, we need to wait with anticipation for what God's going to say. God says, I have, I have promises for you in my word. I want to know what they are. God, tell me what these promises are. I want to hear about it. I'm waiting, Lord. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait on you to tell me what your, those promises are. I'm going to wait on you to, for you to speak to my heart. And man, I, I have such respect for what you're going to tell me. That's the way we need to handle our relationship with God, the way Abraham handled that relationship. Now God gives Abraham and Sarah the promise in verse 10, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. When we read about God's promises, what is our response? Again, we're getting into the response, Sarah and Abraham's response. What's our response? 
God says, God says that I will never leave you or forsake you. No matter what you're going through, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. I can do immeasurably more than all any of you can ever ask or imagine. How do we respond to those promises? How we respond determines whether or not those promises will have any value in our lives. It's how we respond. When God tells me I can do immeasurably more than all you can ever ask or imagine, I'm not like testing God, but I want to push the limits of my own imagination. I want to push the limits of what I'm capable as a human being of doing and then watch God come along and outdo me. And I have to say, he's outdone me every single time. He's outdone me. Anything I can envision, anything I can dream, anything I can imagine, he's, out, he's outdone me. How do you respond? Because how you respond will determine the value that those promises have in your life. We can respond with belief and trust and see God's promises unleashed, unleashed in our lives. Or we can, we can, we can, we can have an attitude of disbelief and never get to experience those promises. If God says, I can do immeasurably more you can ever ask or imagine, you're sitting there going, yeah, right. Yeah, whatever. You know, that's, just, that's impossible. I can dream. I can manage. You, you start thinking that where I will never leave you or forsake you. And well, yeah, maybe. I will never allow you to be tempted. If you, every time when you read, if you read a promise in disbelief, then that's the value it's going to have in your life. How do you respond to the promises that God gives you in your life? If you're going through something, you need to study and how the promises affect have, have an impact on what you're going through. And then you need to have the belief that God is going to hold to his promises because God always holds to his promises. Now, let's take, another, let's take a look at Abraham and Sarah's response here. When Sarah hears that she's going to have a baby about this time next year, she laughs in her mind. She laughs in her mind. In the Hebrew, it, this, this, this word basically is talking about, in this passage, is talking about kind of a mocking laugh. It's kind of a mocking laugh. She laughs in her mind. She basically is saying, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you seen me in the mirror lately? Um, now, why do you think she responds this way? Because as Christians, we sit around in church and say, yeah, if God gave me a promise like that, I wouldn't respond like Sarah. So you've got to ask yourself, and we'll prove that's not true in a second, but how, why, why do you think Sarah responds this way? Let me, let me share a few thoughts. First, first, you have to remember, Sarah heard this, this first heard this promise 25 years ago. 25 years ago. And now she's standing there hearing it again while she's kneading bread in the blazing hot sun for three strangers. Now, I love you women, okay? Men are the same. I'm just picking on you right now. But if that were you, I don't think you'd be like, oh, yeah, boy, this is great. You know, think about it. I mean, you got to think from her perspective. It's so easy for us to judge her from, from, from way back here behind this fence. But can you imagine how she was feeling? Can you just, I mean, try to put yourself in her position, imagine how she was feeling? I mean, really, be realistic. And I'm, I'm going to be the first one to raise my hand. Some of us lose lose or struggle with belief after 25 days, right? You prayed, God didn't come through in, in 25 minutes. So you start to doubt that, that unbelief starts to creep in. We're talking 25 years. We start struggling in 25 days, 25 months at the most, but 25 years, 
Okay, so we can understand maybe while she was a little bit, well, you know, chuckling underneath her breath here a little bit. Now, second, she may not have had the same relationship with God that Abraham had. The Bible says that God appeared to Abraham three times. It does not say that he appeared to Sarah three times. So she may not have had that same intimate relationship that Abraham had with God. So that could be another reason why she had that attitude. Third, she's looking at herself and she's looking at her husband and their abilities. And she's saying, this is impossible. This is impossible. It says that Sarah was well advanced in years. Now, here's, we got we to paint it. I'm going to paint a picture for you. Think of your grandma and grandpa, okay? Get them in your mind. You got your grandma and grandpa? Some people are going, I'm not picturing grandma and grandpa. I know where you're going. I'm not picturing it. No, picture, gra- <laughs> picture grandma. It's some of your pastor. You have to picture grandma and grandpa. You got to get the full picture here. So you picture grandma and grandpa, okay? And, 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 and you, you, think, you think about your grandma now. Now, picture grandma for a second. Now, you tell grandma, grandma, you're going to have a baby in a year. Okay? See grandma's face? Can you see her just from, you know, you can see, can you, see you know what I'm saying? I could think of 25 reasons why Sarah laughed and Abraham's number one, okay? Abraham is, Abraham's number one. Now, because I, I want to, I kind of want to paint this picture. I want to get you, I want this, this, you get this scene in your mind, okay? Grandma and grandpa. This was not an immaculate conception, okay? So you have to kind of get well, in her mind and Sarah. So I want to paint this picture. So you, I'll paint this scene for you, okay? Grandma's across the room. I'm grandpa, okay? Now, grandma's looking over. Grandpa's being eaten by his pants, first off. All right? Do you know, you know like 10,000 people a year are actually killed by being eaten by their pants every year? It's a scary statistic, but so no one, show, no one tells it, okay? So grandpa, who's being eaten by his pants, first off, he's got more hair in his ears than on top of his head. And grandpa's thinking about this, and he throws back a little Kenny G., Right? Get this picture in your mind. He's looking over at Grandma. He's got the eyes going. He blinks his eyes a few times and falls asleep and wakes back up. Now, I'm sure Grandma at this point, seeing Grandpa, you know what I mean? is fired up. She's just fired up, boy. She's thinking, oh, man. You know, just, just something else I want you to notice about, just a little side note, because I, want to, I like to make, you know, enjoy, for you guys enjoy yourselves. But you ever notice how in high school, you, you see some of their pants around their ankles? And then slowly but surely, you're eaten by your pants. It's a scary way to go. What happened to Grandpa? We don't know. We just found a pair of pants sitting in the room. All righty. Uh, one other thing. One other little note, side note that kind of, I'm kind of weird, so I think these things. But, you know, it's interesting how women never like to give their age. And the Bible talks about Abraham in chapter 12 being 75 years old. And then, you know, at 18, it talks about you know, Abraham was older. But, you know, you know he's 99 years old. And when Isaac is born, he's 100 years old. But when it comes to Sarah, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, she was well advanced in years. <laughs> she was past the age of childbearing. Now, what's her age? We want to know how old, you know what I mean? 
It's like she was well advanced in you know, She probably came in and erased that part. I'm just kidding. No, she didn't do that. <laughs> it's like, well advanced, that's better. No, no. Now, can you come back with me? Come back with me because these are the same reasons. These three reasons I laid out are the same reasons. They're some of the same reasons that while we struggle with our belief, aren't they the same ones? I mean, God, we, we, we ask for something. We want something to happen. We pray for something and it doesn't happen. Soon enough. It doesn't happen in our timing. It hasn't happened yet. So I pray and 25 hours go by and 25 days go by and 25 months go by and all of a sudden I start to struggle in my faith because what, it hasn't happened yet. I don't know about you, but that's happened to me. Or the other one may be that, you know, you look at what it would take, you're thinking through what would it take to accomplish what God is calling me to do and you come to the conclusion that is impossible. That is impossible. Some of the things that we, we dreamed about, that we had vision for here at Grace Chapel years ago, I said they're just a fact waiting to happen. We said we want to have all this stuff in Nigeria. We want to do this here. We want to do that and all these things. And you know what? It took, it took years to put some of those things in place, but the reality is they are happening. We could have said after a couple years, why isn't the Lord, why hasn't he built all this and done all this yet? And, and our lack of faith, our lack of belief would have stopped us in our tracks. But we have to trust that when God calls us to do something, when he promises something, he's going to follow through with his promise. But you can see why she would struggle. Or maybe we don't, maybe you or I don't have the same kind of intimate relationship with God that we need to have. And that causes us to have unbelief, to have a lack of faith because we don't have that intimate relationship with him. So when things come up, we struggle. We, we kind of fall back, we slide back. You can understand why she felt the way she was feeling. More often than not, here's the reality, we respond like Sarah. More often than not, we respond like Sarah instead of Abraham. When we did a capital campaign last year, I really felt like God was, was, was leading us to do this. I felt like God clearly put in our hearts as a church and as leaders, because it came from more than one person, that we should do this capital campaign last year. And so we stepped out in faith and we went forward, we prayed about it, we did this capital campaign. A few months later, the economic floor fell out. And I started to think to myself, should we, um, should we kind of put this aside? Should we not do this? I started thinking to myself, maybe we, should, maybe we should stop. And I almost stopped based upon the circumstances around me, not prompting from God. I never felt prompted of God to stop. I, in my human mind, looked at the circumstances of $4 gas and people losing their jobs and you know, all the stock market tumbling and thought to myself, this has got to be the worst time in the world to raise money but still felt like God was calling us to do it. So Pastor John and I got together and we prayed and we said, well, let's continue. We need to go forward. We need to do this. So we made it past that hurdle, that, that emotional or spiritual hurdle. And then I was in Mexico like a week before um, the time that was the financial give, where people were going to be asked to give financially. And I had a choice to make. I really had a choice to make. And it was a choice of of preaching a sermon that limited my liability if things didn't go well. And you say, well, how would you do that? Just, just bear with me, think about this. I'm in Mexico and I'm thinking, okay, I, I went through with this, we're a week away, no stopping us now, but now I'm going to get up in church on a Sunday and, um, and preach. And the give was on Saturday. 
So if the give on Saturday didn't go very well, I had to get up in church and preach the sermon I was going to preach regardless of what happened. So I was thinking, should I preach a sermon that limits my liability if a lot of money doesn't come in? You know, oh, there's an economic issue, but you know, whatever we get, that'll be fine with me. And it wouldn't have been horrible, and you probably wouldn't have noticed, but I would have. So it was either do that or go for broke. Just preach and go for broke. And if, you know, if I, if I perish, I perish kind of thing. And I had to make that decision. I had to decide that. So I prayed in Mexico, and I, I decided if I perish, I perish. If I go down in flames, I go down in flames. Because here's the reality. If on that Saturday a certain amount of money came in that was a ton less than we were, we were projecting, you think, well, what's the big deal? You know what? When things go really well in the capital campaign, you're called a visionary and a leader. You know what happens if things don't go well? You slow the momentum of your church. People start asking, why didn't anybody give? What's the problem? What are the issues? I don't understand. Whose idea was this anyway? Can't, are you blind? Can't you see we're in an economic downturn? Why didn't you? That's, that's what you're thinking. And so we go through with this process, and, and God, and some, there's something amazing happened. We, we were, our goal in, the, in phase one was to raise $1.2 million, and we raised $1.7 million. But that was great. That, was, that would have been enough for me to at least feel like, you know what? God came. God showed up. God did immeasurably more than all we can ever ask or imagine. But, you know, after that, God, after all was said and done and all pledges were in, God continued to speak to people's hearts. And people came forward and gave even more to focus on the mortgage of our property and committed to focusing on the mortgage of our property. God did immeasurably more. And sometimes you have to realize when you're out of a job, be careful about cursing God and shaking your fist and losing your faith and, because that other job is right around the corner. God will never leave you or forsake you. God's not going to let you go hungry. God's not going to let you be out in the cold. And what are you going to feel like? What would I have felt like if I preached that cover my, my kind of, you know, bottom sermon? Really? What would I have felt like when we raised 1.7 and God came and did immeasurably more? What would I have felt like if I was just, you know, covering myself and making sure that I, 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 I you know, that if anything happened, I had my bases covered and I kind of, I told you, I told you about the economic situation. You know what I'm talking about. How would, you, how would you feel? How are you, how are you going to feel when you turn away from God, when you want to be at arm's length from God, when you're angry at God, and then all of a sudden God comes along and fulfills the promise that he will fulfill in your life? And you're going to say, well, you know what? Man, I wish I had more faith. Have faith. God will bless us. He'll continue to help us through regardless of what we're feeling, regardless of the circumstances. God, when God promises something, it's as good as done. It's as good as done. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will not let you drown. I will not let you go under. Remember Noah. The, the, it was, the, the ark was raised above the waters. They did not drown. God sustained them. God's promises are true. And God took care of them every step of the way. I believe God... I believe God can do anything, but I'll tell you, in that circumstance, I got to be honest with you, I believed God in that capital campaign circumstance, but I have to admit that I had some doubt mixed in there. I really did. I had some doubt. That's just human. But you know what? It's in those times of doubt we need to look at the character of God and say, who do I worship? Who do I follow? Can I trust him? 
And the answer is absolutely, positively yes. You may not be able to trust anyone else, but you can trust God. Sarah's problem was in her mind. It was in her mind. She and Abraham had the same, had the same promise. They were given the same promise. But let's look at the difference between Sarah's thoughts and Abraham's. Let's compare thoughts. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Sarah's focused on what she can see with her eyes. I, I, I don't have a baby, okay? There's no baby. There's been no baby, and my body is no longer able to have a child. She's focusing on what humanly she can see, which what, what we would do for the most part. But that's what she's doing. That's her, those are her thoughts, what she can see. Now listen to what Abraham's thoughts are. The Bible tells us, and you say, well, where is that? In Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21, it gives us a glimpse into Abraham's thoughts. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Fully persuaded. God, Abraham's confidence was in God who is able and committed to do what he promises to do. His faith within a God that is able, who's committed, who promised. Abraham says, if you've said it, Lord, I will believe it. Abraham's kind of faith puts reliance, puts reliance on the object of our faith, on the object of our faith, which is God himself. So when he gets that promise, he's focused on God. Can God follow through with what he promised? Can that God, can the God I worship, can the God who who died and three days later was raised and has resurrection power, can that God follow through with what he promises to do? And Abraham said, yep, he can. He can. He focused on the object of our faith, God himself. Remember last week we said, that a promise is only as good as the character of the person who's making the promise and their ability to make that promise a reality. Judge the character of God and you will find him not wanting. And whatever he says, whatever he promises you, he will get you. You're going through something right now. God will get you through it. If he has to carry you all the way through, he'll get you through this. You want your relationship and your marriage restored? God can restore your relationship. God can take, you're at odds right now with your husband. You guys are together and you're at odds and there's frustration. You're wondering, my gosh, how much longer can I I do this? Pray with all of your heart and trust that God will get you through this. God can restore. God can renew. God can refresh. God can do all that he says he can do. We need to trust him. We need to to trust the character of the one who said, whatever you're going through, I can back it up. I can take care of it. I can carry you. I can sustain you. I can do it all. It's God's trustworthiness that builds our faith. It is God's trustworthiness that builds our faith in him. Sarah cried out, I can't. 
Understandably, she did, but she cried out, I can't. But Abraham cried out, God can. Not I can, watch me, God can. I may be old, I may be almost dead, and Sarah's womb is pretty much dead, but you know what? God said it. Sarah said, I can't. You're right, Sarah, you can't, but God can. And that's what we need to say. You know what? Let's just say that together right now on the count of three. God can, right? One, two, three. God can. So I want you for one second to think of what you're struggling with, what you're going through, what you need to overcome. Okay, you got it in your mind? It won't take you very long right? Get that in your mind and count of three. One, two, three. God can. God can. He can. You can't, but he can. He can do that. You know, Craig has had to cry out to God a lot over this past year, and I asked him to come and share his journey on how God has fulfilled the promises that he made to Craig. Good morning. Well, um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Craig. I'm 27. I have been a part of Grace since the doors opened, since we were meeting in the school. I uh, actually was a part of Jeff and Debbie's uh, youth group. Came in with my cool leather American flag jacket (laughs) and my two earrings. You know, thought I was so cool. But anyway, uh, it all started there at Hope Church in the youth group. And um, then uh, right out of high school, I... I worked with back-to-back ministries. I began raising support to do music ministry through back-to-back ministries. And um, from there, it developed into a full-time position here at the church um, in which I was leading the, the music ministry for a little while. And Anyway, um, flashback to 2007 in the same spot. I think I was sitting on a stool at the time. I read a letter uh, to my home church, to you guys, to my family, that I had been struggling with drug addiction, and um, and I think at that time, I, I didn't let you into all of it, but I was really, I was really in despair. I had lost a lot of joy in my life. I, I had pretty, the joy had been sucked out of my life, um, and, and I was really, I was sitting here in despair, and, and I was looking at the mountain, and I was saying, okay, there's the mountain. You said it could be cast in the sea, and I, I'm not sure I really believe that, you know. And, and it, was a, it was a real struggle at that time to trust the Lord. But however, I believe God was saying he would. I believe he was saying that he would restore my life. And so I got up here in 2007, and I looked at you, and I said, this is where my struggles are, and begin this journey of trusting God to move this mountain. And I, I've only learned this far that, you know, he didn't lift the mountain up in front of me and throw it in the sea, but he took me through it. And, and I could get on the other side of the mountain, and I could look at it and see that it has no power over me. And um, anyway, like I said, I was up here in 2007 and the joy had been sucked out of my life. Uh, really, my world came crashing down and I, I had ran, I'd run out of money I'd, to buy more drugs. My drug addiction was so bad that, you know, I thought my brain was not going to return to normal. You know, some may wonder if it ever was normal. <laughs> um, but I was wondering, is my brain going to come back to normal? The withdrawals were terrible. Pastor John took me in the house and through my withdrawals, and you guys remember that, but um, through that time, through this very difficult time of coming off the drugs, I, uh, something that made total sense, actually, I, I had fallen asleep, which was not normal for withdrawal, and, and I had this dream, it was very clear, actually, it's so cool that Kelly's here today, 
Um, because in my dream, Kelly comes up to me, where I guess we're in Mexico somewhere, and he says, um, what was that verse you were talking about? And I said, oh, yeah, in Joel chapter 2, it says that God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And, and that was my dream, and I woke up, and, and I really felt like that was God's promise to me. I felt like God was saying, Craig, if you will trust me with your life, with this addiction and the things that caused this addiction, um, which have proven to be the bigger mountains, then I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. I will restore the years that, um, that have been taken away by your choices and by the enemy as well. And so I began, uh, I began trusting him by telling you that in 2007. But after I told you that, I, I had slipped a few times, and I remember um, laying on my bed looking at the wall, and I, I was saying, okay, I've just taken my mask off in front of the church, and I'm not going to put it back on, but I'm too weak to overcome this drug addiction. I remember just laying on this side looking at the wall, and I was saying, how am I going to do this? How am I going to beat this addiction? It seems way too big. And, and um, it's God spoke to my heart and my mind just clear, and it was, he said, teen challenge. And I kind of felt like Sarah. I'm like, well, I'm 26. <laughs> that's teen challenge, and I don't know how that's going to... I don't know how that's going to work, you know. I can't really go back in years. But I found out that, that they accept you up to 20 or 35 or something like that. So I made it. And, um, so I went in April 11th, um, and I had been there for nine months. I graduated January 2nd, 09, so it's a brand new year for me. It's been 10 months, praise God. Yeah. And, um, but really, I, I just wanted to end by reading these really quickly. They're really quick journal entries. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> okay. Um, my first journal entry to Teen Challenge, April 14, 2008, I said, Right now, I'm not exactly sure what to think. I do miss home, but I'm not sure why. Obviously, I miss my family, but it's not like my work was flourishing back home. I guess I think that if I went back home, I would fulfill all my good intentions. When will I learn that nothing in my life will change unless a serious change on the inside of me takes place? I know I need to do the work, put in real time seeking God, and learning to obey him. And I said, God, please help me throughout my time here. I want your blessing and I want your power in my life. So blow me away, Lord. And he did exactly that over nine months. Um, there were times when I'd be laying on my bed. And, and uh, a lot happens when I'm laying on my bed, I guess, with the conversation with the Lord. But uh, I remember my heart felt so full. There was one point in which God broke through um, in which I've, my heart was so full, it almost felt like somebody took an exacto knife and like cut ten, rough tendons off, and my heart was full. And I said, if I get any freer right now, I'm going to explode. Mm. And um, so anyway, God did some really serious work, but it took, it did, it took, it took, uh, you don't really know he's trustworthy until you trust him, you know. <laughs> but then you find out he is faithful and will never let you down. And then the last journal entry, which I'll end with, it says, Teen Challenge, December 15th. 2008. It says, Lord Jesus, I hate feeling out of step with you. I'm beginning to see why David said so often that he loved your law. You have completely changed my heart and perception of obedience. I now see it as the key to your heart, the key to freedom in life. I hate disobedience and the unrest that it causes. Thank you, Jesus, for never giving up on me. I'm truly amazed that you have faithfully molded my heart to look more like yours. What a miracle. Thank you so much. And, um, so I, I can stand here and say, no matter what it is that you're going through, no matter what it is that you're facing that you don't want the friend next to you to know, um, there, God can be trusted. He can be trusted with whatever he's asking you to do right now. And at the end of the day, he will mold your heart. He will, he will show you that he's trustworthy and that he's faithful. And there is no, I can say clearly, I've been through rehabs and everything else, there's no other solution than, uh, 
than the cross. There's no other solution than an intimate relationship with Christ to bring that freedom. So thanks for your support. God bless. He is faithful, and you can trust him. And when he promises that he'll restore the years the locusts have eaten, he will. He will. So you think to yourself, well, you don't understand my, yeah, I don't need to, I don't, see, I don't need to understand your situation because I know God. No matter what situation you give me, I'm going to give you the same answer. I know God. He can do it. God can do it in your life. He promises he can, and he can, and he will, and he will restore you. And the great thing, I was saying to Craig in the first service too, one of the great things that we were able to experience with Craig's, with Craig's example is that he came up here, and we were able to come together as a body and pray for him. We don't shoot our wounded here. We restore them. And so when Craig came forward and said, this is what I'm dealing with, and this is what I'm hurting, and he needed the body, we came around, we prayed for him. And, and the great thing about this is sometimes you pray for people and, you know, what, whatever happened to, that's whatever happened right there, a restored life, okay? We have a God. We don't, we don't worship something out there in the distance, whatever. We worship a God who when he says something, he will follow through. And if we're obedient to him, if we agree with his promises and we believe in his promises, then he will do what he promises to do. And he's done it in Craig's life. And we get the privilege and the joy of experiencing a full a restoration going from when a person is where at the bottom to where now they can come back and say, you know, I have a long way to go. I'm going to be fighting for the rest of my life. But God has restored. God is renewing. God will give me back the years the locusts have stolen. That is a praise God, okay? Praise God. Praise God. And I'm going to say it again. I've said it the last few weeks. Don't you think that there are people around you in your community, in your church, in your neighborhood that need to hear that testimony, that need to hear that truth in their lives for their children? How selfish of us as believers in Jesus Christ that we would not want to invite them to be a part of what God is doing in people's lives. Let's be encouraged by what Craig is doing. Let's be challenged to reach out to those who need those promises just like Craig. One of the last things I want to point out in this passage is that if we want to receive the promises of God, that we, then we need to wait on God's timing. God's timing. What is God's timing? I know it's hard, but we need to remember that God knows best what's right for my life and for your life. He knows best. He has our lives all mapped out. You don't know what's best for your life. I don't know what's best for your life and I don't know what's best for my own life. God knows what's best for our lives. Verse 14 says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer is no. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. No maybes, ifs, or buts. I will come back at my appointed time, and she will have a son. It's a done deal. I think this is the hardest part for us. When we pray, we want God. We want God to answer immediately by waving some magic spiritual wand. Bring! You know, your problem is taken care of. We have a hard time waiting on God. We want it immediately. I, 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 we don't like it if we're kept waiting. 
If we are asking for something and we're kept waiting, we're almost like talking to another person. If we ask something from them and they make us wait, we get really frustrated. We do the same thing with God. But it's most often, think about this, and Craig would give testimony to this. It's most often in the time of waiting when you're laying on your bed and you're waiting on God that he strengthens your faith and he speaks to your heart on an intimate level. It is during those waiting times we need not get ahead of God. We need to make sure that we stop trying to make things happen on our own. We need, we need with all of our hearts to trust. We need to stand firm and trust in the wisdom and in the knowledge and in the character and in the ability of the one who has made the promise. We need to hold fast to our trust in him. No matter what you're going through, trust him. Trust in the character of the one who made the promise. I love this quote by D.L. Moody. He says, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. You're thinking, man, I read that and that's just, that just can't happen to me. That's just too good to be true. God never made a promise that was too good to be true. God can bring around and bring about the change that you, that you want to see in your life. He can bring about that change. We just need to believe. We need to believe with all of our hearts and all of our strength and all of our might, and all of our minds. We need to believe that God has the power to do it. That God has the power to do it. He does. He has the power to do it. He's never let me down. If you trust in him, if you put your hope in him, if you put your faith in him, if you hold on and you will wait on the Lord, he will not let you down. He will not let you drown. He will, not, he will never leave you or forsake you. He will be with you every step of the way. He will throw you on his back and carry you as long as you, it takes to get you where he wants you to be. You can trust him. You can trust him. He will never let you down. Let's pray. God, we just thank you this morning for this time that we can spend together. Thank you for Craig's testimony, Lord, that that shows us that you will restore. You will renew. And there are people here this morning who need their lives renewed. They are spiritually bankrupt. And some of them are Christians. They're sitting here and they just feel dead inside. They don't feel like they're using their gifts. They don't feel like they're, they, they, can, they can be passionate. They don't feel like they can, they can explode with enthusiasm and excitement. It's been a while since they even thought about those kinds of things. They're just making it from day to day. But you say that you can do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. So I'm asking you to light a fire underneath every single person sitting down right now. For them... For them, light a fire for them, Lord God. And everything they're dreaming about and the plans that they have that are your plans for their lives, I pray that you would do immeasurably more than all they can ask or imagine in their relationships, in their, in, their, in their witnessing to those around them, in their times of service, in their desire to serve you with a passion and a zeal. God, I pray that you do immeasurably more than all we can ever ask or imagine, whatever we're asking for. According to your will, and your promise. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great week.